Don't y'all love Bill and Tammy? Man, they are like so much wisdom. And I, and I love to, we, this is a house of prayer. So, so what, you're, what, what they're even sharing with us, it comes out of a lifestyle of prayer, right? And that's something that we're all developing and growing in as a company together. But I just want to, you know, thank you all for leading us in this time. And I, I know that what, what is shared and what comes out comes from this place of prayer, this deep desire to see Jesus lifted up. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's a blessing to be under your leadership. So uh, today, I, I want to, um, last week I, I spoke on the deception of humanism. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride the coattails of that a bit. I'm going to continue in that sort of vein, but it'd be a little different. Um, I, I want to share with you, first off, a, a bit of my story, my testimony, just a snippet. Um, so when I got saved, I went to um, college shortly thereafter. I got saved the summer before I went to school. And I went to school at Virginia Tech and go Hokies. And, they, uh, and I, I entered in to my walk with the Lord to start college, right? Freshman year, was I, I knew I was just learning and tasting the goodness of God for the first time in my life. And, and it was just a beautiful season full of ups and downs, and I won't get into all that. But I, I, there was a moment in my college career, it was my junior year, when a situation happened to me that completely challenged my understanding. And that's what I want to talk to us about today. I, I, I want to talk about actually the topic of today's sermon is the idolatry of knowledge. All right? We prayed a lot this morning about having wisdom and understanding. And, and so, so in, in this moment, right, in college, I had a situation that challenged my knowledge and what I understood. And so back in 2007, I don't know if you're familiar, um, but there was a mass shooting that took place on my campus at Virginia Tech. All right? So I'm going to school, getting ready that day to go. And actually, the shooting took place on a hallway where I had class. So the rooms where it was the biggest mass shooting in America at the time. There was 30, 33 people um, that were murdered. And so, so it rocked me to the core to experience this, this moment. And, and a little, it was a little more new or detailed for me or a little more close to home. So I had a good friend, and um, she was on my ministry team. We did a high school ministry at that time. And we would meet every, every uh, week to pray for the high school kids that we were sharing Jesus with. So one week, she comes to me, and all of us, and says, I need, we need to pray for my roommate. God has laid her on my heart, and, and I need you all to pray with me for her. Never brought it up. We've met for over a year, I believe, at this point. Never brought up this, this person. So we pray for her. It's a Thursday, I believe. And that Monday, her roommate goes to school and doesn't come back. All right? She was one of those 33 people. And, and so here, here I am. We're praying for this woman. God's put it on my friend's heart. And literally three, four days later, she's gone. And so there we are, like, you know, as a team, just mourning with her and, you know, and trying to make sense, trying to have understanding of what we just experienced. Like, what is this? Okay, I'm a, I'm a pretty new believer, only a couple years, but here's the information I have to go off of. This is, first of all, it's one of the most evil things, and the spiritual atmosphere in campus was an, out of this world. I mean, you couldn't even, I couldn't even run physically. It was, it was dark. Um, but secondly, wait, God, he, he must have known. Why would he put this woman on my friend's heart? He must have known this was coming, but, but if he knew, why did what, why didn't he stop it? Like, what, what happened? Well, why is this lady now dead? But we prayed. And then, so you see where your mind can go. There's lots of mystery in that. And I'm not here to tell you today that I figured all that out. I didn't figure out any of it. But I'm, I'm telling you, we go through these moments. We go through these moments. And in these moments, our understanding is completely challenged. And we have a choice to make. What I experienced in the Lord those three years, his goodness, his, his mercy over my life. I mean, I was, I was a wreck, and God met me right in that place. And I didn't get, I didn't get good quick. It took me a bit, all right? I'm <laughs> still not good, if you want to call whatever good means. But, you know, it, it took me a bit to get well. It took me a bit to re fully receive what Christ had done for me, but I was a mess. 
And what I had known in those three years of his goodness, it withstood the test of that moment. It withstood the fact that I didn't understand why God would allow this and, and, and why these things would happen in my campus. But his goodness and the knowledge of him was greater than my lack of knowledge in the situation. Can you relate with me? Have you had those moments? You said, God, where are you? God, I don't understand. But then it comes to a point where, is my faith going to be shaken? How am I going to respond even in not knowing what's going on? So to recap a bit from last week, we're talking about the deception of humanism is what I spoke on. I talked about how, how humanism in its core carves out God from the center of your life. What it does is it replaces God from the center of life and it puts you in the middle of it. So that's what the ideology does to those that accept it. And I, I talked a bit about how we've, we've built houses with, you said, windows to look out but not skylights to look up. And that analogy being we've built houses where we just, we look for, for truth, we look for life, we look for, for understanding just out around us in our world and what we can observe. And we don't look to God. And, and in, that, in that mentality, we can only be deceived because we're, we're not even looking to the source of life, we're not even looking to the God of wisdom, of knowledge, of understanding. We're looking out. And I believe that's, that's what it looks like to seek the knowledge of the world instead of seeking the knowledge of God. There's a big, big difference. And one is based on just what we see and what we hear. And another is based on a living relationship with a living God. And it's, it, it's very different, but it can be quite subtle, just like humanism. It's a, it's a subtle twist um, in one form of knowledge from another. Now, I talked about in, in humanism what really we're, we're, we're seeking knowledge of the world in order to obtain power. Because if you're the center, that's what... That's ultimately what you're after. You're after power, and so knowledge is a means to that. But the Christian walk, knowledge of the Lord is everything. <laughs> it, it is the air we breathe. It's, what we, it's, what we, it's why we're here today, because we want to experience him. We want to know him more. It's everything. But in humanism, the knowledge of God is, is minimalized at, at minimum <laughs> and often missed completely at maximum. Now, knowledge and understanding are a bad thing, all right? You see lots of scripture telling we need knowledge. We need understanding. We need wisdom. So you can go through Proverbs and find lots of scripture telling you how much you need it. But the problem is when knowledge becomes the centerpiece, right? Just like with humanism, when our knowledge becomes something that's central to who we are and something that we lean on. So that's what I want to address today. Knowledge cannot be idolized, and it is idolized in your and my world. And I'll, I'll give you some experience and some, and some evidence of that, but we cannot put our trust in knowledge. We desire it, yes, but it's not central to who we are. And it's something that we build our life on. We'll fall. We will fall because you can't lean on knowledge. So when I was in college, going back to those days, I, uh, I had a professor, and he was, I was in business school, and he would say, you know, you are what you know. He would say, you, all, you have to read, you have to read, you have to read, because you are what you read, and you are what you know. And I thought, you know, that's, that, that makes sense. But then I, I began spending a whole semester with this man, and I said, what is this guy reading? He's broken. He's He's erratic. He's, I mean, he may be successful on some levels. I mean, he's a professor and he's, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know his personal life. But whatever, he, the knowledge that he's drawing from, I don't want as the center of my life. Because this man is, has got no stability. And um, sorry if you're tuning in, professor, I, I forget your name, but <laughs> I should probably pray for him now that I'm bringing him up. So I think he was right, but it, it was troubling the, what, the conclusions he was telling me. We live in the, in the information age, right? There's so much information. It is everywhere. There's so much ability to learn and knowledge. And that's, that's a beautiful thing, and it's something that we have to manage in a way that nobody in human history has had to manage. The knowledge, the, the access 
to answers. You know, I can get a quick answer to anything. If I want any question that I have, I can go to Google right now or whatever I use, and I can get answers. And I can build a knowledge base that's pretty strong, built on sources. And you can, you know, you can debate how trusted those sources are, but I can get a knowledge base really quick. And I can feel like I'm an expert in some area. And I can come to you and tell you all about how you're wrong, and I've got expert opinions that you need to know. There's 3.5 billion searches on Google every day. 3.5 billion. Searching for knowledge, searching for understanding. 3.5 billion times. 15% of those searches are never, have never been typed, brand new. Every day. Isn't the human capacity and desire for knowledge interesting? Can you imagine if we put that towards the knowledge of God? Wanting to know and experience him. That curiosity. I mean, I've got kids. You can see the curiosity in humans. It's amazing. And it can be used to deceive you or can be used to build you up in truth. So if you, if you, if you look at some of these, some of these um, sources or documentaries that sh even talk about social media and talk about, like, there's literally, they build in, there's a, it's an addictive behavior that they're working on with you. you we have a, this addiction to knowledge, I believe, in our culture. And they play off that. They prey off our addiction. So it's actually kind of like, uh, I've heard it's, it's, it's like, a, like a casino. Like they'll, they'll use that type of dopamine hits to send you certain tweets, certain Instagram photos, because they know that we're addicted to knowledge in a sense. We're addicted to new, to more, to fresh information. So they know it, and, and they capitalize of it. And the fact that things change so quickly in our world creates this obsession and this appetite to understand what's ahead of us and what's happening around us, right? And I, and I think there's a part of that that's certainly not bad, but there's a part of that that I believe has distracted and deceived each and every one of us. This message I've really wrote for myself. So if you take it personally, it's not directed to you, it's directed to me. Um, but, but I really believe that we've, we bought into this in terms of we want to see what's ahead. We want to understand the changing things. And we'll take in any form of knowledge that we can get to try to understand what's ahead. And it deceives the church. It, 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 it keeps us from wisdom and knowledge and true understanding of, of what's happening and of who God is and what he's trying to, what he's trying to reveal in this hour. Andrew Murray, the South African pastor slash writer, wrote a bunch of great books. Here's a quote from him. He said, I believe the church of Christ suffers more today from trusting in intellect, in culture, and in mental refinement than from almost anything else. He wrote this at like the turn of the century. It's like 100 years ago. How much more so is that true today? But based on the word of God, I'm convinced, I'm so convinced of this. Um, after doing this, I'm convinced. God doesn't actually desire for us to see and know every detail. You know, we have the ability now to, like, you know, try to pull things back. But God doesn't desire that for you. He doesn't. And I'll prove it to you. So God in the scriptures is constantly withholding information. <laughs> I mean, you, you go all the way. We have the ability of seeing the Bible in its entirety. Right, But you go, you, we go all the way into the time of Paul and Peter before they realize that the gospel is for the Gentiles, for the non-believers. All of a sudden, they're like, oh, my gosh, the rest of the world, not just the Jews, is supposed to get the gift of Jesus and salvation. Boom. It, I mean, now there's prophecy, but that understanding did not come for it. <laughs> I don't even know how long, however long it was between the time of <laughs> when things started and when Paul and and Peter got these revelations. God withholds information. Prophecy. Prophecy is in part. God never gives people prophecies that are in their entirety, as we see in Corinthians. Dreams. Mariah was sharing with a dream. I don't have any dream that's straightforward. Every dream is weird on some level, right? <laughs> There's a weirdness. There's a, and, and God, he draws us in through our dreams to try to understand what he's saying. But it's not clear. There's a level of, of hiddenness in dreams. Parables. Jesus speaks in so many parables. And it, it gives a level of depth to what he's saying. But it also hides truth. It also hides things 
that we may want to know, but we have to seek them out to actually understand them. The gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is so anti-knowledge. I mean, he gives you this gift, and it's outside of your understanding, and it's a, it's a mysterious thing that you're speaking. And Paul brags he does it more than anybody else. He says, this is key for bringing the kingdom. This is key for the lifestyle of Christ. But it's, it's totally outside of your intellect and your mind. God tells us things like, be still and know that I am God. You ever think about that? He doesn't say, think about me. He says, be still and know that I am God. Quiet down your mind. Be still. I love that God doesn't give us quick information. We have access to so many things so quickly. God doesn't work that way. I think that's where we get jaded sometimes. We think things are going to go fast in the kingdom because we're used to things in the planet operating so quickly. But the kingdom works differently. It has a different pace. It knows the maturity that we need. It, it doesn't give you things as quick as you would like them. My daughter was telling me this week, oh, Dad, I just want to grow up. I want to be a teenager. I want to, I'm like, gosh, no. I want to, you know, I want to do this and do that. Like, why can't this happen now? I said, talk to Jesus about that one. But I already know the answer if you want to hear it. <laughs> you're not mature. You're not ready. There's a time for these things. But I want it now. I want it now. So this is the wisdom of God. Things take time. So once again, nothing's wrong with knowledge. Nothing's wrong with understanding. It's, they're desirable. But we got to seek God first. Seek knowledge of him. Seek understanding of him first. That is central. Dependence on Jesus is necessary for each and every one of us. And knowledge wants to come and get in that place. I'm telling you right now. And it's one pickup of your phone away. It's that close. And it will deceive you. Proverbs. We're going to go to the book of Proverbs. It's all about wisdom, understanding, all right? Proverbs. Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6. This is one of the most quoted scriptures probably in the whole Bible. Here it goes. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. There's a reason that is like a favorite verse because it's awesome in so many levels. But let's break it down a little bit. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your heart. In your heart, I mean your mind, your will, your emotions. With all your heart. We can't do this on our own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean. The word lean in Hebrew, it's called I'm going to butcher it, Shawan. And that word means to lean and to support oneself. So think about not just leaning on it, but your, your body is being supported. Think of like a crutch, right? Think of you, 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 got, a, you got a leg that's, that's bad and you're leaning on this crutch. And if that thing goes, you go. So that's the terminology we're talking about. Lean. Do not lean on your own understanding. Understanding is good, but not understanding that you lean on. It's not good. You don't want it. You don't want to be propped up against it. So the whole fact that it says don't lean on your understanding, there's, a, there's an acknowledgement right there that your thinking is limited. God, God gave you a brain. It's got limitations. God's ways are not our ways. God's thinking and how he, how he made the universe, we can't fully understand. One day we'll see him as he is. But now we see in part, we prophesy in part, we don't fully understand. There's a measure of humility that we as a body have to walk in every day to lean not on our own understanding. It's necessary. It's necessary to actually follow through on this verse. You have to just realize that you can't figure it all out and you can't possibly understand the things that God understands. And it's, it's quite foolish to think we could figure it out. Yeah, here's a quote from, from Tim Keller that I thought helpful. He said, the great paradox of the book of Proverbs is wise people are extremely aware of their foolishness. The fools think they're wise. To put it a little more starkly, if you don't think you're a fool, you're a fool. <laughs> I thought that was pretty well put. See, when we look through the lens of our own understanding, 
we get quite jaded and we and we make poor decisions and we get I mean in this season if you look through the lens of your understanding you're going to be depressed is the reality because what you see if you're anybody doesn't make sense and you don't have it all figured out and it's frustrating let's just be honest this season is frustrating and it's hard to understand and so we can look at things and say well you know, God said, God said there's going to be a great harvest. God said all these people are going to come into the kingdom. But, you know, based on my understanding, based on what I see, I don't know that's going to happen, you know. We're one of the few churches even open. Like, we're, how are we going to, this, this isn't going to happen. Like, uh, I know, you know what, if we're going to make the harvest happen, I got a bunch of good ideas of how we could do it. We could still do this. Like, here's, here's some ideas that I have. And, and let's talk about how to make the harvest happen like God said it was going to happen. So we, we, we can go through these things where either we don't trust what the Lord said because situ situations have changed and they make that hard to believe. Or we still don't trust, but now we're going to plan on our own. We're just going to do our own thing. We're going to plan our revival stuff. And, and hopefully it will turn out the way we heard God say it before because now we got to pivot because things are really crazy. So we do pivot, yes. We do seek the Lord for wisdom, yes. But where's, your, where's our faith? Where's our trust? And, and have we let go of things? I would encourage you to seek your own heart. Have I let go of things because of what's happened in, in this season, in the past year? Have you let go of things that God didn't say to let go of? Because it was just beyond your understanding. It was hard. It's hard to believe it. Believe it again today. If God still has, is still speaking that to you, believe it again today. There's some things God spoke to me in the middle of COVID that I haven't even acted on. And the Lord's reminded me, hey, that's not done yet. Hey, hey, go. I know that doesn't look financially feasible. Go back to what I said. Hey, and I believe he'll knock on your door today. He'll knock. He'll bring things up right now. As I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit will bring things up that he wants to give you fresh faith for. And they're all beyond your understanding. If you can't figure it out, great. You're in a great spot. This is, this is where we are. This is what it looks like to be the family of God. This is every Bible story you ever read. <laughs> right? There's always a gap of understanding. There's always a promise that takes more than just knowledge to solve. Now this verse ends with this statement. In all your ways, submit to him. And he will make your path straight. I think some of the confusion comes from the lack of submission. If we're not able to submit to him, we wonder why we're so confused in life. I'm speaking to myself, but I bet I'm speaking to you too. <laughs> I really believe in 2021, we have an opportunity to lean not on our own understanding. To put our trust in God. To replace lies with truth, to, to replace worldly knowledge with a knowledge of God, with a hunger and thirst for him, with his word leading our thoughts, leading our decisions. It's time to lean on the knowledge of God because that's the one thing that will not pull out. It won't. That's a crutch you can always lean on. But I want to talk a bit of what that looks like, and I want to compare the knowledge of God to the, to the knowledge of the world. So what's it look like to lean on the knowledge of the world? What, what, what is that? What's the byproduct of that versus the byproduct of leaning on the knowledge of God? All right? I got a few points. I'll go back to last week. I talked about Tower of Babel, Genesis 11. In the Tower of Babel, you got a bunch of people that are leaning on the world's wisdom. Oh, we figured out how to, how to make bricks. We, we're rallying around this whole idea that we're going to do something great. And so we're going to do something great. We know how to make great. Based on that knowledge, let's go and build this thing. Let's do it. And we all know where that ended. If you don't know, read Genesis 11 or tune in last week. All right. Didn't end well. <laughs> God scatters them. And their intention was not to be scattered. That was their desire. And God did exactly what they didn't want. He scattered them because they challenged God. And in their own knowledge, they actually came against what God wanted in his plans. Now, Abraham's on the flip side. Abraham is operating from the knowledge of God. And Abraham, we don't know how much knowledge he had of God. Like, in fact, it may have been very little. It doesn't say, like leading up to that point, if Abraham actually understood what we have read up to chapter 12, where he's introduced. So he may have known very, very little about God. 
But with the little bit that he knew, he put his faith and his trust in the knowledge of God. And wouldn't you know, the whole world changed because of it. And he put his faith and his trust in something that was impossible. It was completely impossible to have a son, to, to have this family that God had promised him. Completely impossible. But one man putting his faith and trust in the knowledge of God and what God said shifted all of mankind. It's very different, but it's very powerful. So worldly knowledge produces a false sense of power and safety. That's what Babel had, this false sense of power. We're going to do this thing. We're going to rally around. We're going to be awesome. But it was a false sense of power and safety. But the knowledge of God leads to a reality of his peace and his power. And that's what Abraham walked in. Second point, worldly knowledge leads to pride. It puffs you up. That's 1 Corinthians 8. The knowledge of God always leads to love. Always leads to love. 1 Timothy 1, 5 through 7. This is Paul exhorting Timothy. We read 2 Timothy last week. The goal of this command, right, of his instruction in, this, in the scriptures is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these, have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. The main instruction of everything Paul was teaching to Timothy was love. We grow in wisdom. We grow in knowledge, understanding of God. Love will come out of our life. Last point. Worldly knowledge is ever-changing. Like I said, it changes all the time. It's changing today. There's new knowledge, new information. Knowledge of God is steady and constant and does not change. It doesn't. But the interesting is they're both sort of bottomless because knowledge is always taking place, worldly knowledge. But the knowledge of God is bottomless because he's so massive and beautiful and we can't possibly understand it. So they're both, you know, quite addictive from the standpoint of there's always more. But only one is actually stable and secure. The other changes and shifts and you can't lean on, you can't lean on worldly knowledge. But the knowledge of God is steady and constant. And it just continues to grow in our understanding, but it does not move. It does not shift. You know, I listened to some of these, you know, they're like, ah, what do you call them? Like self-help coaches or whatever. And yeah, they, I mean, they really get you going. You're like, yeah, I want to, I want to sign up for that. I want to be a new me. Yeah. Like today, you know, this, yeah, this year's terrible. I'm going to be a new me. And you know, they, they make you want to, want to sign up for their stuff. And they're like, I'm going to make you unshakable. You're going to be an unshakable person. And I'm thinking, these people are liars. Like, that's impossible. Like, unless, you, unless Jesus is a part of this program, you know, that's not going to happen. And, and so it's interesting that we, we think we can be unshakable, but we're built on knowledge that won't last, that'll fade away. The knowledge of God we can build on. It won't fade away. It's constant. It's steady. It's reliable. So if you want to know what you understand in life, if you want to know the depth of your knowledge and what you understand, I have a solution for you today. Go talk to my five-year-old daughter. <laughs> Go talk to her. And she will take you to the very core of what you believe. Because she will ask you why as many times as you can possibly imagine. Every day. <laughs> My daughter, Fern, five years old, full of curiosity. She wants to understand life. And so she will ask all these theological questions, and she will drill you down to the very core of why you believe it. So just the other day, I think it was yesterday even, she said, so, you know, we're, we're always praying, you know, against the Satan guy. Like... Why does God even allow this guy to be on the planet? <laughs> okay. He's like, why don't we just pray that he annihilates Satan? <laughs> Drone him, you know, let's get rid of him. And uh, I said, okay. I said, well, friend, you know, God's got a plan for that. Uh, that's going to happen. You know, I could, I, we could read it in the book of Revelations. It's a little R-rated book of Revelations, but we can go there. 
a lot of violence. Um, she said, like, but why did he even let him exist? Why? And, and so when, you, when she asks these questions, often the whys, the whys, the whys keep going down to what you really believe and what your knowledge base is that you're drawing from. But many of them, you get to a place where you're like, well, that's what, that's what God is doing. That's what he's decided to do, and he's God. And I, I don't understand beyond that. I know one day he'll deal with Satan. I don't understand why Satan is still here. And so I can't explain that to a five-year-old, but it, it shows you how many things are built on this level of trusting in God and not in your own understanding. You could never have faith without, with full understanding in yourself. It's impossible. And so anyway, if anyone's, anybody wants a free appointment with my daughter, you know, <laughs> it's three easy payments of $29.99 and she'll, um, she'll talk to you for hours. We'll go to college. So I want to I wanna kind of pick apart more of this um, worldly knowledge mentality, okay? So I, I'm going to break down three areas, three challenges that I see um, to worldly knowledge, the challenges that it brings, all right? So number one, worldly knowledge may bring conflict with God's plan. This is a big challenge. Worldly knowledge may be in conflict with God's plan. So look, we're going to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, and we see that God does things that are actually intentionally contradictory to worldly knowledge. He intentionally does things, right? So it can, worldly knowledge can be deceiving. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Even the cross itself is hidden from those that think themselves wise. Isn't that interesting? Worldly wisdom can make us stumble. It can make us not see clearly. It can blind us from truth. In fact, Jesus said lots of things that can be offensive and, and hard to understand. Bill talked a few weeks ago about John 6 Jesus says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And that statement alone, those that followed him, those that actually were near to him, left. Do you think, do you think God knew that? You bet he knew that was going to happen. He certainly did. And he said it, and it confused those that were relying on worldly wisdom, worldly understanding. They could not, they could not receive or understand what Jesus was offering, and they walked away. We cannot be offended by the gospel. We cannot be offended by the cross because it will appear foolish to men and women that don't know God. It will appear very foolish. And you may look, you will look, you look like a dummy in front of the world when you share the gospel. You will. Ask Curtis. <laughs> Curtis goes out and he shared a few weeks ago and he'll share with anybody. He doesn't care how susceptible they seem to the gospel. And sometimes the Lord will break through and their hearts will be ripped open just like the other he was sharing on Times Square. And other times they'll mock or they'll laugh and they won't receive it. And it's not to us to determine to share, to not share truth if we're feeling led by the Spirit to share no matter what the mockery. You know, I was on a job years ago, and it was, um, I was like, um, what was I doing? It's like a photo shoot sort of thing. And, uh, and I was on the job, and I, I got up, and I was reading my Bible in the morning. And the, all the other people, or most of them, on the job just got up and mocked me. They just said, look at this guy reading the Bible. It's old. Like, this, you know, you actually think, you, you know, there's something in there that's ancient. And, and so they mocked me. And I was just like, oh, whatever. These guys, I don't really even know them. And then there's a, there's a, a girl that was on this, um, it was like a weekend photo shoot thing. 
And she starts, she's like grew up in the church, and she starts resonating with the gospel again. She starts, and I'm sharing things with her, and you see it stirring up. And boy, let me tell you, they really got mad then. They really got mad when, when the girl who was a part of their camp started being drawn back into the loving arms of Jesus. And they wanted to mock me even more. I didn't get invited to another shoot with them. I don't know why. <laughs> so what I'm saying is when we speak the truth, we will be, we will be mocked, and, and likely more in this era than, than in past, to be honest. Um, but we're not afraid of it. And we speak the truth in love. And, and you know, I, I want to reference here Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because it's like the best children's story of all time, first of all. And second of all, these guys... They stood on the knowledge of God and not on their own understanding. They stood against opposition, mockery, and even death. And, and they spoke the truth. And they did not hold back what was real and what was true, even when it was going to cost them their lives. I'm going to read real quick from this verse. Daniel 3, verse 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. So the matter, for those of you who don't know the story, is they have, he's built this statue, and they're saying, everybody bow down to the statue, right? And they're refusing to. So, all right, great. You're not going to do it. You're going to be thrown into the fire, all right? That's what's happening to you. You're going in this fire. So they say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. They're saying this is the most powerful person on the earth, by the way, at the time, because they know somebody more powerful, somebody higher. But even if he does not, isn't that interesting? There was still, they still weren't fully sure. Their, their mind still wasn't fully sure. But they were sure of who God was, of his knowledge and his truth, that he was their defender, their protector, their deliverer. And so they could speak it because they were sure of that. They had, their knowledge of God was much bigger than their knowledge of, of the world and of the situation and of you know, what they were facing. Your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image, image of gold that you have set up. I'm not going to do it. My knowledge of God, he's, I won't do it. I won't serve anybody less. I love that. I want to raise up a generation of, of people that operate like that. I believe that we are in that generation, right? I, when often we think about you know, the young ones, yeah, like the, the kids, but we are that generation. Get ready. Like, we're, we're entering into this moment where it's time for the knowledge of God to supersede every other form of knowledge. And it's time to be, you know, I don't want to get burned, but, hey, I'm going to say truth even if they're going to burn or mock me. All right. All that was number one. It's going to go faster, though. All right. Number one, worldly knowledge may conflict with God's plan. Number two, worldly knowledge can distort godly knowledge. It can distort it. I talked about earlier this, this knowledge gap that exists in most Bible stories and in all of our lives. Where you have a certain thing, you have a certain thing that you sing that you believe God's going to do, it's going to happen. But there's a, there's, a, there's a gap in your knowledge of how that's going to manifest in the earth, right? So the problem that we have, I believe, right now is... There's a void, right, in our knowledge of how to get to that thing that we think God's going to do. But what we put in that void sometimes is worldly knowledge. What we, what we do to try to get the thing we feel God is saying is worldly, and, it, and it's not of the Lord. And, and so it, it, it's very, it, we try to connect the dots, I think, where God doesn't say, I want you to connect that dot. We try to understand things that God doesn't ask us to understand. And I, I think it's quite, it's quite disorienting. And it's almost like, I'll say it this way, even, even the prophetic can be a form of this, all right? Because even in the prophetic, we can, we can with the prophetic, we can see certain things. But in, in the gap of trying to understand what the prophetic is saying, we can add more to the prophecy. Or we can, we can decide that here's what's going to happen to create this. And we can build our life on something to, to, to create an outcome. And God did, said, don't try to figure out how I'm going to make that happen. Just pray and know that that's what I want to happen. And so prophecy is so important. And, and we at this church, we love the prophetic. We have a class every year on it. 
but it, it can get in the way when, it, when we try to fill knowledge in. And, and Claudia and Kathy talk about that actually in the class, about how we try to add on to the things that we see to make sense of it. And it, it can distort our discernment, and it can get us caught up in leaning on knowledge that is not the knowledge of God. I think if, if we yearned for the word of God the way we yearn for the prophetic sometimes, we would be way better off in the church, in the, in the body of Christ of the world. If we yearn to understand the word as much as we yearn to understand prophecy, my goodness, the wisdom and knowledge of God we would have, it would be awesome. And I believe we're at a season where we've come to the end of our understanding based on all the world events. It's time to yearn to seek the knowledge of God to be with him, to understand his word. And that depth is going gonna, is gonna to set us up for the harvest, to be real. Now, I don't understand it all. That's my whole point. But I'm telling you, there's a depth that God's building in his church right now. And, and I, don't agree with, I don't agree with this, um, the notion that we can't handle what God's going to pour out. I believe he can prepare us, and I believe he'll do it in his timing. I don't got to figure out all the other stuff. I really don't. Or at least he hasn't told me to. Maybe he's told you. So I'll go back to this point. Ask God what you need to know. What do I need to know? We all have different callings, right? And we can see somebody that has a lot of knowledge in one area, and that's awesome. But just because they do, don't, don't feel you have to fill your mind or understanding in that area. That's actually why community exists, right? If I don't understand a certain thing, I can just go talk to this person, that person. They can, they can help me with what I need to understand. But I feel we, we've tried to take in like a fire hose all this information, but God's given us specific calls. And there's certain things that it's good to dig your time and attention into. And there's others it's not. And that's between you and the Lord. But I would encourage you. I think we've tried to, we've tried to be generalist of information. And sometimes God's saying, no, like, I want you to focus on these things. And that's good. And that's healthy. And we need that unity, or we need that diversity, I would say, in the body. All right, number, th so I'll go back to my, my last point. Point number one, worldly knowledge may conflict with God's plan. Point number two, worldly knowledge can distort godly knowledge. Point number three, worldly knowledge can rival love. I left this one for last can rival love. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. Isn't that good? Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Whoever loves God is known by God. So in this sense, the, the whole controversy here is about food sacrifice to idols. That's the context um, of this chapter. And Paul's breaking down, you know, what's happening in the Corinthian church. And basically they have people that are, their consciousness is, is being harmed because they're eating food sacrifice to idols. And other people, they have a knowledge and understanding that, hey, actually, you know, we can eat this stuff. Like, I know it's a false god, and that's kind of weird, but God's made everything clean now, so we can actually eat it, and it's okay. So that certain people have that revelation, and others don't. And what Paul is saying is, you have all this great knowledge, and you want to share it, but you actually are hurting your brothers and sisters who don't have that knowledge, and their conscience is being severed by this act. And so, so knowledge is great, and it's fine, but in this case, your knowledge is actually diminishing your ability to love, and that's what I've called you to do, is to love these people, to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so knowledge, in that sense, blinded these people from being able to love their brothers and sisters. I think we can all learn from that in this very moment, right? People with different knowledge, different places, we can't be blinded from loving our brothers and sisters by the fact that we have knowledge that we feel they don't have. Love is our goal. Love is our, is our desire to be, in fellow, to be in fellowship and to be, to be love in the church is our most important thing. That's how, the, that's how the world will know that Jesus is who he says he is, when we love one another. This is, this is foundational. This is the gospel. So I think of um, that John Thurlow song, and I'll sing it to you. When everything else is fading away, only love, only love remains. 
Only love, only love. That's all you get, just that little bit. But thank you, thank you. Man, I hope on Zoom that came through as, as nice as it was in here. <laughs> but we gotta keep, we gotta keep love central. But I wanna read this as we're closing out here because what is this love that we're talking about? There's a lot of people talking about love these days and they don't know, they don't know what love really looks like. So we're gonna get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So we're gonna read 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. This isn't a wedding, but maybe it kind of is. So I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read this to you. 1 Corinthians 1, this is the or 13, 1 through 8, this is the love chapter. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have the faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. We're not going to win over people for Jesus based on what we know. We're going to win them over based on how we love. So what does love look like? Well, here's a few th things I just read. It doesn't dishonor others. It keeps no record of long, wrong. It always protects. It always hopes. It's not easily angered. Love has distinction between good and evil. It does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth. There is distinction in love of good and evil. See, Jesus himself is love. God is love. And you, and you think of how Jesus walked the earth. If God is love, then love looks like overturning tables in the temple. That's love. It doesn't look like love. It looks like somebody going through and, and, and being upset with, with what was happening. But they were defiling the house of God. They were, they were doing something that was evil. And so Jesus said, no, enough. This is enough. This is not, this is not right. And this is love because Jesus was love and is love. Love looks like Jesus calling the Pharisees brood of vipers. Now that's, think about that. I mean, he called them, he called them what they were doing. He, he spoke it out. So you can speak the truth in love. It doesn't always look pretty and we have to seek the Lord. But love, it's not the way the world would tell you. There's worldly knowledge mixed in with how we define love in this culture. And we cannot agree with it because love is our most important resource. It's what, it's how we bring the kingdom. And so I would encourage you today, this is a side note, but God, show us how, we want to ask the Lord, show us how to love. Let our knowledge not get in the way and let, the, and let worldly ideas of love not get mixed into how we, we look and how we pursue love in our own life with one another and with God. Worship team, could you guys come on up? So I, um, I want to read this. I, I wrote this. It's kind of a, a rendition of 1 Corinthians 13 for, for myself and for today. Um, so I'll read this to you. If you can understand how to stop the coronavirus and comprehend all the right and wrong silence, science, sorry. If you can determine which media is the best source, and which ones are lying to us? If you can discover all the complexities of the geopolitical situation and what political party or persons to trust. If you can figure out how to bring revival to America and what the church in America needs to do. If you know and can comprehend all these things and have not love, you have nothing.
You have nothing. We have to recenter ourselves in this season. We can't get addicted to knowledge and trying to understand and figure everything out. Because it will take us away from what God really wants in this hour. Everybody stand for me, please. We need discernment in this hour. We need the love of God to permeate us like never before. We need to be led by the Spirit. We need knowledge and wisdom of God. We need all those things. You know, Charles Spurgeon, he, he said this, To be saved, you must trust Christ. Simply trust Him. Wholly trust Him. Trust Him implicitly. Let no other confidence intervene. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust Him for everything, for the pardon of your sins, for the righteousness which justifies your soul, for the grace which renews your heart, and for the power which guides the new creatures in a new course. Everything must come from Christ. Everything. So, Father, today, we just give everything to you, God. We want to trust you with our whole hearts. And just repeat after me. If you can say, Father, I want to trust you with my whole heart. I lean not on my own understanding, but I choose to submit to you, knowing you will make my path straight. God, we say, let the knowledge of you reign in every heart, higher than every form of knowledge. God, we pray that you would grow us in knowledge and understanding of you, that you would keep our hearts from pride. God, I pray today, Lord, any places of pride that your Holy Spirit has, has convicted or revealed in our hearts today, we give it to you. We give it to you. We lay it down before you. We say, God, take it away. We want knowledge of God. We don't want to be puffed up. We want to be build up your kingdom. We want to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. God, help us to grow in love in this season. Give us discernment for what you're saying and what you're doing. And we pray, God, that we could trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Zoom, go to your Zoom rooms. And, uh, and I encourage you in your rooms, talk through what it, what's the spirit. I really believe God is, the spirit of God is actually bringing certain levels of conviction today. And we need to share that with one another. We need to be real with where we're at. And he's going to come in like a flood. And we're going to trust in him and not in our own understanding. So see you guys. Thanks for tuning in.